0: And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. My name, of course, is Eddie Cohn. I am the host, the creator of the Spiritual Spiral. I've got my warm cup of tea in my hands right now. So if, if you don't know, it's, it's suggested that you drink a lot of warm beverages during this coronavirus pandemic. So I, I am drinking one every, every 10 minutes. I'm having a cup of warm tea. No, I'm kidding. It's uh, more like every 20 minutes but seriously, I'm thrilled that you're listening. I'm thrilled you're taking a break from that crazy tiger show on Netflix to listen to this amazing conversation that I had with Yancey Strickler. I'll get to the conversation very soon. As always, if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, write a review, give it a five star, share the show with your friends. Um, I've currently moved all of my yoga classes to YouTube. So Please find me on Instagram, at Eddie Cohn, and I'll give you all the information for my uh, online yoga classes. And if you dig the show, you want to support me over on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. And yeah, so I got all of the bookkeeping information out of the way. So just Yancey, really quick intro here. I Yancey's probably best known for co-founding Kickstarter, which was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, crowdfunding platform, businesses that has ever been developed. And this this was years ago. And I actually, I was always impressed by Kickstarter because I always felt like it was a response to the collapse of the record industry. People just stopped wanting to pay money for music. I think that attitude towards artistry and music has sort of really seeped into almost every creative industry. People don't really, in my mind, value the time spent value, the creative process. So to me, Kickstarter was giving more power to artists. They could reach out to their fans, whether they were making an album or going on tour. I mean, all these things cost a lot of money. So in order to get these projects done, Kickstarter gave a way for artists to get support from their fans. So of course, I was a huge believer in Kickstarter and I thought it was fantastic. So Fast forward to about a month ago, and I'm I'm on vacation in Mexico, just get back before the insanity of the coronavirus, thank goodness. And I'll actually fast forward a little bit before that. I was listening to Ezra Klein. He's one of my favorite podcasters. I highly suggest Ezra Klein. And he had Yancey on a show. Yancey was talking about a new book that he just wrote called This Could Be Our Future. And I was really struck by the way Yancey communicated his beliefs on the world and technology and social media, and I don't necessarily agree fullheartedly with his belief or stance with social media. I still still think there's an incredibly high level of toxicity. There's a reason why there's a lot of polarization happening. It's complicated, but I do think social media is contributing to it. But I was really struck by Yancey's heartfelt outlook and approach to to the way he lives his life. And so I ran out and bought the book. Again, it's called This Could Be Our Future. And when I was on vacation a month ago, I finally got to reading it. And I just was really blown away by his perspective. He's not forcing his frame of view or point of view rather. But I think very objectively, he's talking about I mean a lot there's a lot of themes but one of them is sort of living in this capitalistic world and how how we got here and he talks about artistry you know decision making and and sort of the way the world works and moves and I found it really interesting and I think a lot of my podcast is sort of about how we are how we're trying to find our way in this culture, especially with social media right now. I think social media is this living, breathing animal that shapes our brains more than I think we realize. And I think Yancey's approach to living, this bentoism lifestyle that he talks about in his book, I think it is trying to bring a little bit more power and giving yourself a little bit more control, with, especially with your emotions And I think it's just a very interesting read. I highly suggest it. And I think he's a really smart guy. And I just was really blown away. And I just was really appreciative that he took the time to talk to me. So again, the book is called This Could Be Our Future. It's by Yancey Strickler. You can obviously head over to iTunes. And pick it up... I'm sorry, obviously you can head over... Not iTunes, obviously you can head over to Amazon and pick it up there. And you can obviously head over to his website, which is whystrickler.com. And you can get on his newsletter, read a little bit more about bentoism. And so, yeah, I just think he's a really cool guy. Really interesting, really intelligent. And I thought it was a really cool conversation. So, as always, remember, if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, write a review, share the show with friends, all of that good stuff. And... If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at eddycom. But that's it. As always, thank you so much for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially now during this uh, weird time. I mean, I don't want to get too too into this, but the the strange thing about it though is that I read your book while I was in Mexico about a month ago, and the timing is really. You know, I could sit here and read passages from the book, and I, I, I of course there's a few paragraphs that I am going to read because mm-hmm. to me to me the book is really timely. Uh, as to what's going on right now yeah um, before we dive into the book i just you know what how has your day changed just from three four weeks ago
1: i had been a road warrior for the last five months or so yeah um and so that but that was about to like take a little break anyway um so i'm just a you know i'm just a homeschool teacher now right and, and sort of the rest of my professional stuff is, you know, kind of on hold, not all the way, but everything's, I just, you know, I get like three hours a day, basically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I do things like this and then my own projects, I'm just sort of like inching along on a weekly basis versus a daily basis. I'm, ha- I'm happy to be here for my family and most important to me is that we have, that we're safe and that we have a great time. Definitely. It's fine. It's fine. I feel grateful to you know to to be able to do the things I'm doing.
0: Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I still feel a lot of gratitude. I'm a yoga teacher also and I've been teaching yoga classes through YouTube and you know, obviously it's not the same as having people in your in the room with you and obviously there's an energy and even just you and I talking. You know, I want to see your face, but, you know, we still have this computer screen where, you know, there's it's it's like a blockade. And and my podcast actually originated a year and a half ago around this idea that I think technology and social media are ruining the world. And yeah. I know that's sort of a dramatic statement to make. And I see the irony now because, you know, I'm left to use more technology now than ever. And I've always been very apprehensive to, to use it.
1: We should, we should talk about, should we talk about this on the conversation? This seems like a good, I, I, cause I want to ask you questions. I'm interested in that conversation.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that's why I'm bringing it up because to me, this actually ties in with profit and creativity and artistry. I mean, I think it's all looped together as an artist and I'm a writer and I'm a musician and I, I'm a DJ and I'm doing all these things. And I do think social media and has sort of tapped into the 24 hour day where instead of me spending all day getting better at playing the guitar, or writing a song, you know, because of Napster and Spotify. And, and this is, I think, kind of around when, when Kickstarter started, maybe after that it almost feels like Kickstarter was a, this utopian response to what happened to the record industry, giving artists sort of another avenue to navigate has
1: your negative view on social media changed as a result of the quarantine and lock-in? Do you see that differently?
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, no, and I'll tell you why. I, again, I'm not. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because I am forced to use social media now. And and if it weren't for social media, I understand that I wouldn't be able to have conversations and tell people about what I'm doing. But I just think it has caused such disruption and now addiction and even more people are going to be relying on technology to communicate that I, there's these humanistic elements and qualities where I think our culture's lacking. Yeah. And I know I have to be careful to sound completely dystopian because I, I just think collectively, especially the younger population, I just sense that they're I feel better after I have a face-to-face conversation. And there's something about those elements that I just think you cannot replicate on Instagram. And although the CEO of Instagram calls DMs conversations, I just don't think those are, t- well, they're not technically conversations because a conversation requires two people talking.
1: That's marriages between a man and a woman kind of like, Oh yeah, know? that's true. Traditional kind of yeah. cultural divides. You know, I think it's just different. I think it's just a different medium. You know, I, I, I'm like, um, I don't know. I went through my like, uh, uh, social media is smoking for the brain kind of period. Um, and but I think it's, uh, I think it's a good thing. You know, I think that it's a mirror. It's, mm-hmm. it's a mirror to what's, you know, the internet is not a LCD projection, it is a mirror. And, you know, the difference of the internet versus the world before is that we are seeing, I think, a more, Maybe a more accurate reflection of who we are, maybe a actually more diverse reflection of who we are rather than who fits the, you know, the corporate owned channels of the big three networks and like traditional publishing or whatever. Now, it's enormously complicated yeah. and it's like a lot of hard things. And, but I'm of the belief that we're creating a kind of a like that we are iterating on a collective consciousness through this. And that, and um, that maybe the technological advance of the internet, um, like what is the thing that gets built on the internet? It might be this like heightened form of collective consciousness that allows us to collaborate, that allows us to empathize, that allows us to solve problems and create things at scales never before possible. I even look at like what's happening with coronavirus and the fact that flatten the curve was like a very much a bottoms up social media theory, you know, expressed by scientists using social media, embraced by the crowd. But like that didn't come from a government or an institution that came from this kind of brain of ours trying to communicate to itself, like the, the brain trying to communicate through its nervous system to every, all extremities to say, hey, listen to this message. And so I kind of think that it's in a weird way it's working and and I don't I can't defend everything that's happening and I don't defend the players I think but I just think like the networked organism of humanity I you know I bet on that and I and I and I bet on I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a technological utopianist like I don't believe there's some there's some idea that like whatever the next tech is, we'll patch it up and then we'll be back to Eden. Right. Like I think we I think we've been telling ourselves that story for 50,000 years and we will keep telling us that story and tech will never deliver Eden. It, it obviously shapes life. And I think that it could I think there are many ways to shape life positively and can do so. I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to keep helping us.
0: You know, I'm thinking a few things while you're talking. I do feel there are individual people out there and there's individual...
1: Sorry, dog was trying to get out. Sorry, I apologize. No, it's
0: okay. I've got a couple cats that I know are dying to get in here any second. So I do think there are individual examples where social media, even podcasting can create good. I mean, that's, I, I, you know, I found out about you most recently listening to you on Ezra Klein's show. And I think Ezra's a great example of, of producing good, but I, I can't help but think about a theory that I had. And then of course I read your book and I, I think about this idea of sequels and things becoming the same and, and how easily manipulated human beings are and, and It feels as though my concern is more a collective culture, a collective pulse. And if, if there is a uniqueness to human beings, people are becoming insecure to allow those unique qualities to shine. It does feel like it's sort of creating this vacuum. It being Instagram and social media technology, I do think it's dwindling down to human elements even artists I I really resonated to your piece on sequels and then of course Martin Scorsese is talking about Marvel films I I do think and this will I mean there's a few things I'm thinking but that's that's sort of more of my issue with tech and social media. I think collectively as a culture, there's addiction. People are becoming more robotic. Heads are down. And then you talk, of course, about change. I think change requires such awareness and such an ability to turn off your phone and think for yourself that I think, I know I'm I'm going very... In different places here. But I think that's sort of the core of where I'm confused and get a little bit more negative and fearful about the impact of tech.
1: You know, I mean, I think like whoever, whoever was down on TV was probably right. You know, in 1950, you know, in, in 1950, there was like less than 1 million televisions in America. By 1959, there were like 70 million TVs in America. You know, and that and that reshaped the world and and created a different kind of consciousness, a top down consciousness that created a very structured society that operated according to fairly predictable means uh, that got broken up in the 60s, especially when popular culture began to speak out against these same channels. And I think what we're seeing now is like, you know, it's, it's it's just the breaking down of that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't view it with judgment. I just sort of view it as it's, it's what's happening. And, um, and it, and it changes us, but like, I just think the, the network itself is what's important that the individual products and the assumptions of the products and like the corporate control of the various products are challenged are like problematic things and are challenging things. But like the overall net of creating the web, of creating this interface of all of our minds, the civilization of the mind, an entire new layer of universe laid over top of the world that we live in now. And this universe that's become almost even more important than the universe that, that preceded it. And that, you know, this this new this new digital universe has existed for 30 years, right? And it's already like, I would argue, maybe more important than the physical world in, in, many, in many areas of life. And hmm. – you know, and that's a that's a remarkable thing. And that's entirely a, a human construct and and, you know, built on public goods using public funding, using like innovative science and research. And like, really, I think, upping the intellectual level of human beings. You know, I, I saw a tweet that was like in the 2000s, the left was like Michael Moore movies, you know, NPR and maybe like maybe you'd heard of you know, maybe you'd heard of Chomsky before. And now it's like to be on the left, it's like which subculture of the left are you from? Like how deep you can go? And this is all like internet. This is like this proliferation of intelligence, this proliferation of knowledge that, you know, is overwhelming and like keeps us, yeah, has us staring at screens more than we probably should. But I do think is valuable. You know, it's, it's valuable, and it's not just valuable in the sense of, like, the pages that people are looking at it or the intellectual property of it, but I, I think, like, people listening collectively to however many podcast hours a week they're listening to, like, that has a cumulative effect on our intelligence. The amount of conversations we're having all the time, which, yes, maybe you would say is not a conversation because it's not face-to-face. I will say it is because it is two humans exchanging information. Right. But, like, we're having hundreds of conversations every day now. That certainly adds up to something. And so I think that, like, what is being what is being added and created through that is not as visible. But I, but I like, I bet on that. I, I bet on that because, to me, whatever is happening, that is, like, the aggregate of our brains – like merging together, not, not in a singularity way, but just in the way that like, I think the neurons and synapses of our brain are meant to function that way. And if we ourselves are neurons in a larger brain, then I think it just like meets the properties of nature. And I, I yeah, I don't know. I believe in that. It just makes sense to me.
0: I want to, I'm thinking about one thing and there's, uh, I want to go down both. Well, we can keep talking this area, but I can't help, but think about one other area I mean, you just mentioned intellectually, and I'm paraphrasing because you said it maybe two, a couple of minutes ago, but possibly intellectually, a proliferation or an increase of intellectualism. And, you know, I have a, my friend Jen, she introduced me to the minimalists and the minimalism lifestyle. And I think the other reason why I became more aware of what tech is doing is that I sat down to start writing a book about two years ago. I even think about when I was making records, and I think back to this movie I watched where Jimmy Page was talking about when they recorded the drums for When the Levee Breaks. And I, I agree with you. and It is different. It's a different time. But I do know my brain is functioning differently the last three weeks than it was before this whole thing came down because i am using my phone so much more i i'm happy that i am at the point in my book where my mom and i are just going over like editing and grammar and punctuation because the my brain six weeks ago where i was right walking down the street with some quiet time and trying to focus i mean I guess I felt as though I could be more intentional with the technology that I brought into my life right now, or or rather what I did six weeks ago. Now I can't. I do think that I'm not sure if the creative output right now, and you know, it's not, of course there's still great examples. Parasite was great. I love Succession. Mindhunter on Netflix is great. But back to my point though, I do believe my brain is different over the last few weeks than it was six weeks ago before this chaos sort of happened with COVID-19. And I do think better creative project. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if I
1: can make a plan. I mean, this is a this is a traumatic, you know, we're going through a traumatic event and we're, Mm. and it hasn't even started yet. has not even started yet. And already we're feeling the grief. We're feeling grieving and it's confusing because, because it hasn't started yet, and we lack so much certainty. And and the world has become, the world is the internet. There's the four walls of our houses, and then there's the rest of the universe. Like, <laughs> this is second life. You know, it's second life. It's happening. It's happening. We're in it. You know, and so, um, but you can, you still have agency. You could still choose to what degree, you know, you, you engage with that. I think you just have to be intentional. I mean, I think what what's happening now is that, the geography of life in the past allowed the different compartments that we carried that were often in conflict with each other. But the geography of life gave those things space where we could not think about them as much. Hmm. And now we're all locked in our houses and these (laughs) compartments are piled on top of each other. And if you have a family, it's multiple people's compartments, all, all piled up in this small room. And suddenly these ways that we are in conflict with ourselves and in conflict with each other are like in the room and they're inescapable. Um, And so whatever it is that was going on for us, whatever is hard for us, is getting amplified at this moment. And and everyone has their different versions of those things. Uh, I do think there is an opportunity. And I think like the, the Bentoism ideas that I write about, I think are... Like are tools that can equip you for moments like this. and I think that's kind of what we need. It's just like this is a hard moment to be intentional. This is a hard moment to not be sucked in and it's okay if that's what we want to do. if we have our time for that, that's fine. But if you want to do more with your time, then you need to have a strategy. you need to have you need to have a plan, you need something to help you do that because it's very hard to wake up every day and like start with turning on the news and then be like, okay, and now I'm going to get with my daily practice. Like probably the news is going to knock you off course just right from the get-go.
0: You know, what inspired you to make the comment about sequels potentially, you know, there's a sameness happening in the film industry, for example, and, and you you write about that. And, and it's funny, I, I could read the passage at the very beginning of the book, but I really connected with it. And I, I think I'm guilty of it. I was brought up believing in an orderly world where things make sense. There's no need to worry. History is logical. People in charge know what's going on. Everything will be fine. There's some version of this that we all still believe, but it's not true. And when I read that, I was thinking, gosh, maybe that's one of my issues, is that I'm kind of logical, and, and I it, even I have this strange brain where I'm creative, logical, and maybe I went a little off track from my original question about sequels, but for whatever reason, I was really thinking about that passage, and it really, when I read that, I was thinking to myself, oh, wow, I'm, I could tell I'm going to like this book.
1: Well, you know, I look at the, you know, I write about how we're not imagining a proliferation of movie sequels and I show a chart that you see, you sort of graph them year by year. And, um, you know, I look at that and I just think like the people in charge don't know what they're doing. Um, They're going with like, you can look at the decisions being made, you can understand based on the decisions what the logic of the choices is, which is simply that they're looking for whatever will produce the largest possible box office return and making zero else, making zero else. And so you understand the value system that drives them. And, you know, I, I like I don't I don't judge that and say that they're evil or dumb or anything. I it feels a little bit silly to me. You know, it just feels like a giant. It's just like a giant. I don't know. Just like a, a giant gambling operation, I guess. But um, to me, I look at the book is really just trying to look at. uh with some distance, like here's how the world actually appears to run. And if we can observe this about it, then we can make certain conclusions about the world believes to be true. We can also talk about why those assumptions might be problematic. The book is really arguing, not that, you know, it really argues that we are uh, overly short term oriented, which I think we would all, something everyone would agree with. Um, So we have a very limited notion of self-interest very individualistic, short-term view of self-interest. And also we have a very limited view of what's valuable. We mm-hmm. tend to roll all value up into money and just assume that money is the only real rational value and that that will just sort of take care of itself. Everything else will figure itself out if we just like take care of money. Um, and uh, so like money is kind of our ruler in a way. We serve its needs and hoping that by praying to the God of money and by growing it on a good compounding return that it will bless us with everything else that we need. You know, but I think that there are good reasons why people feel this way. Money is very useful. You know, the, the immediate near term is important. Um, but you know, the book tries to very optimistically, positively constructively argue, um, that there's a, that there's a greater universe behind both of those things that our self interest is not just now me, uh, it's a larger universe. It's our future selves. It's the people that we care about and are responsible for. It's our children and all other children. And that the world of value, of course, is bigger than money. It's it's loyalty. It's 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 uh, purpose. It's it's like environmental sustainability. You know, it's many many things. And so, what does the world look like? Uh, and is a world possible that operates according to? What I think is the truer nature of self-interest and the truer nature of value and so the book the book does that in a way that i think is like pretty basic and 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 sensible you know um and 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 i think i'm just i'm just explaining something that i think is to me it seems very obvious um and i think will you know my my guess is that in 30 years it might seem silly that anyone had to write a book like this, because the ideas in it will just be so accepted. Because I think that is what happens with like, new ideas as they become sort of processed into the collective consciousness. They almost instantly seem like they're not new ideas. They've been there forever.
0: I was just thinking, though, as you just said that, you saw you, you said new ideas. But sometimes I wonder if it's not new ideas that are happening, it's new technology is happening that's sort of shaping human behavior. But you had this chapter, and I, I don't want to waste time and look at the book and find it, where you had like these five different areas that human beings I don't even want to say survive around, but there's like family and love and yeah. do, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, and but there was one specifically that was more self
1: involved yeah you know what well, I'm, was at high this is maslow's hierarchy of needs yes there and, we go uh, his highest tier is is um self-actualization um which you know i would interpret it like the phrase i use is self-coherence but like really truly meant living in yourself being in flow state with yourself and i think in a place of self-actualization it's not just that you're like you're you're 10 out of 10 Eddie that day. I think it's that as a self-actualized person, you are actually like very much a giver Hmm. and, and you are like to self-actualize means you are, you are giving to people around you. You are, you are creating, you're creating just good and warmth and value, uh, kind of in all directions. And I think that is that, that's what I, you know, I, I've had periods of, of my life of being, um, Following the classic sort of success paradigms of just wanting to be at the top of my field or wanting to have more followers than that person or wanting a certain sales number, whatever like all those things are a part of me and have like gotten taken control of me at various points in my life. Um, I think after in working on this book and in thinking about bentoism and now living according to this bentoist view of my full spectrum of uh, just like really seeing all aspects of my self-interest now i see coherent self-coherence as being the most important thing like that idea of living in integrity with who i am being in a flow state with myself everything i'm doing being as natural as possible to who i am even if it's something i don't want to do to have a mindset that allows me to say well this is part of what I must do as being a person or for these roles I inhabit, I have these responsibilities. And so I step into those. Um, And at at this moment of like being, you know, quarantined and locked down with my family, um, it's tremendously valuable uh, because I can imagine other versions of myself um, feeling pissed off at like my career being put on hold during like, you know, maybe the most flourishing personal career moment of my life right I can imagine part of me feeling resentful that like teaching my four-year-old math for an hour when I have emails piling up I'm not responding to because of using the bento and grounding myself in all aspects of life like I'm stepping into my role as as an as a now us provider as a as a parent as a partner And I'm seeing that as my job. I'm seeing that as like, that is, that is the most important thing. And I'm willing to, you know, shift my priorities and I can do that. And know I'm still operating in a way that's coherent with me. I'm not having to rewrite my personal narrative, because I'm not, you know, being a writer eight hours a day. Instead, I get to do it for one hour a day, you know, but like, that's just that that's what life is presented and and so i you know the bento kind of grounds me and like well how do i still be me and adjust to a moment like this and not and not be a piece of shit to everybody around me
0: i'm just thinking about bentoism lifestyle cuz you brought up an interesting point i felt like last week the first week when i was forced to stay home and it was a challenging week and i felt some anger and you know you have this pattern where You're used to the way life was, and then all of a sudden there's an abrupt change. I think we forget that any sort of change creates some anxiety and possibly anger, frustration. And and again, I don't want to go back to social media, but I do feel like we've somehow created this world where if somebody gets angry or upset, we think something's wrong with them. There's this really negative finger point attitude towards somebody who's angry, and then but we all we all it's a natural human elements. And I felt it last week. And I probably felt also your interesting example. Here I am basically done with my book that I've been working on for two years. And I'm really I don't know what to do now, because I don't know what publishers are going to be looking for or agents, everything is on hold. So it's, it's great that I wrote a comedy, but the timing is also sort of a little peculiar. So I appreciate what you were saying with the bento model towards living one's life. But sometimes I have a hard time when there's sort of a graph or a specific. Not that you did this, but I'm just throwing out words like a chart or even if a therapist says to say something to yourself, like a mantra, over and over again, or breathe more deeply. And I practice yoga, but you know, I'm I I'm on a plane flight and it's going all over the place, or I'm in terrible traffic and and nothing works for me. It's I feel helpless. So, I think sometimes in those stages of clarity i can breathe or i can think about what my yoga teacher said or think about what your book gave as an example but sometimes in those moments it's really challenging definitely
1: i mean that's why that's why these things have to be practices you know that's why it's that's why you have to meditate every day right and that's why you have to these are muscles you have to develop i mean i think of the bento as like um as a loving tool for my weakness I will struggle about thinking of the long term. I'll struggle about thinking about other people. I'll be a selfish SOB. Like these are things that um, I emotionally and intellectually do not want to be true of me and have made, I don't know how many empty promises in my life about how I'm gonna get better at this, not knowing how that's possibly going to happen. Um, And so for me, you know, I just have like a, four boxes that I look at in my head that I imagine as my bento box and that in those four boxes it represents generally what's important to me and what's right and wrong for me and what, what makes me my best and I especially find it helpful because you know I was a CEO and ran a company with Kickstarter for many years and it's very hard having an idea of where you want to go pretty easy um getting people to be on board with you really hard making consistent choices in that direction. Very, very hard, very, very hard because you have your plan and then, but your day doesn't give a shit about your plan. Your, your day is going to give you whatever your day gives you. And so if you're in a place of responding to your day by being reactive to what happens, you will progress nowhere. But if you have a destination of where you want to go, And when those day-to-day things happen, you know what to ignore. You know how to answer them. That isn't – even if it's not related to what you want to do, it will lead you to where you want to be. Um, And that without that, you're kind of screwed. Without that, you are – you're bobbing in the ocean waves. Um, The 5 10% of people that – know themselves well enough and are committed enough with their energy to have a direction that they're working towards, I think those people tend to achieve something like what they what they imagined. Uh, that doesn't mean they get the emotional satisfaction that they desired, but I think that having that intentionality and being able to like cumulatively make decisions in a consistent direction is one of those things that's very hard to appreciate one by one but they accumulate to such a great degree. And, um, and so to me, something like a bento, that's just like, you know, all right, four boxes I keep in my head that like, I I think if I hold these things in mind, I will generally be on course. Um, and you know, and so that happens to me on like a passive way of like filtering my choices. And then it happens to me on an active way. Um, if I do a Sunday mornings, both my wife and I do separately, we do a, uh, a weekly sort of exercise where in our notebook, we write, what do I want to do with my energy this week? How should I use my energy? Draw a blank bento. So a simple four by two by two quadrant box and then answer in each box. So now me, what does now me want to do this week? And my now me will always be like Aaron's, you know, here's the work stuff I need to do. Uh, you know, call this person, my future me. Future me, I'm imagining what is the older, wiser version of me that like lived the perfect obituary. What do they tell me? That's always something like write a book or sorry, read this book. Um, reach out to this these people that like seem like it'd be good to have a relationship with. You know, it's more like strategic. Yeah. Um, my now us is always about my family. You know, what should what does my now us want me to do? It's like well, make the time, make the best of all your time with your family call a friend today has become a thing I do. Um, future Us future us is always fascinating because when I first started doing this exercise, my Now Me was focused on like the commercial success of the book. Hmm. And I was sort of trapped in this loop around it of just like checking social media too much. When I went to this, my Future Us um, told me, why are you caring about the book? It's already happened. Like you need to, like the goal is bentoism. Like there's so much work to be doing like you're looking in the wrong direction. And so I do this as a way to like sort of provoke those different parts of me and to remind myself that all these things are important and valuable. That And, and I make my to-do list using this. And so my to-do list used to just be work, always used to be work. Now my to-do lists are like spending time with my wife. My to-do lists are reading. My to-do list is like uh, thinking about larger things. You know, to me, I look at all this as like I'm just an animal. <laughs> yeah. I'm an animal. I'm trying to survive. Uh, you know, I have, I'm fortunate to be given these hands and this brain as tools to navigate in this world. But I know that's as an animal, I, I require more. <laughs> and so the bento, the bento is at the appropriate level of like simple enough for me to keep in mind, but complicated enough to actually be revealing and helpful.
0: think there's a lot of self-awareness that you have I think I do too I think I'm pretty in touch with all the emotions going on and I think your book has this really not forceful way of getting somebody to think like you're thinking And, and I think that's what's so I think the brains are so easily swayed in one direction or another and I just, I picked up on the message of your book, but sometimes I wonder if one has to be more forceful now, or more over the top, or more like yelling or screaming to make the point.
1: Maybe for some modes of communication, you know, maybe for now me kinds of things, that's possible. But I think to, I think driving larger change is a different kind of game. I think, yeah, yeah, I, you know, that that stuff is out there, but that's not all there is, you know, and, and we all have the ability to tune that out, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I just think that, like, um, you know, I can look back at my, like, seven-year-old version of myself, the 15-year-old version of myself, the 22-year-old version, even the 31-year-old version, and I feel a mix of embarrassment and, like, great just great love and compassion, knowing the ways that they were suffering, those people, but also thinking like, you know, they were doing they were doing the best they could. And I, I look back and I love them, I love them. I love them for fighting through what they fought for, all that sort of stuff. And so being able to look back at my past self that way also gives me the ability to look at my current self that way and kind of doing it, guess kind of from a future me perspective, but just like even right now, I'm an idiot in ways I have no idea about. I'm like, you know, like there are, there's all these things I'm doing. I'm just doing the best, doing the best I can. But I feel like the more I can look at that and look at those struggles as just like striving, striving, then I can view them, view the gaps at with like the love of a parent looking at a child that like can't reach the neck, the top rung yet. And you're just like, it's great, I love, and you know, what do you as a parent think? You're like, I love that you see the top rung. You're gonna get there, you know? It's okay you don't get it, but I love that you see it, you know? And so I just think like, to have that own view on yourself, it just feels very true to me. It feels very true to me. I mean, you could do that in a way where you can, you can, you can excuse behavior you shouldn't, right? There's, there's, definitely a, there's definitely a delusional version of that, that li- the greatest gift life has given me of many. I came to see the greatest, a great gift that life has given me was just that all my, the 30 years before Kickstarter, you know, I, I would enter most conversations with the intention of wanting to prove to that person how smart I was Hmm. and that I was special. And because I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, like I'm a nobody, I'm a nobody. I got a funny name, but I'm a nobody. And, And I just really felt aware of that. And so every conversation was like vitally important for them to walk away knowing that that was whatever they might think of me. It wasn't what, you know, whatever. And then, you know, and so then, so then I, you know, co-found a famous company, successful company, um, and had that experience. But really what I took away from that experience was I no longer had that feeling anymore of having to prove myself and, and, in a way that like, wasn't like I had like the champagne bopping, popping moment, but more just like that, that raw part of me that was protesting too much, just like shut up because it got, whatever, it got enough to like have no right to speak anymore. And that, and I've, I view that as a gift. I view that as a gift. And like, if I could wish, if I could wish for something for everyone, it would be, it would be to like, to feel that calm, Around whatever, and everyone has their own version of things. Mine was like, "I'm an impostor. I don't belong," and so that was like an important itch for me to scratch. But just to just to be able to feel that become resolved, it doesn't go away, but to feel that resolved was a real was just a a real gift.
0: I really connected to the beginning of your book where you were talking about being made fun of and you didn't really, I, I don't, I think I recall you saying you weren't a jock or you were not into the the sports click. And I sort of related to that and not sort of, I did because I got really sick as a kid when I was 12 and I missed a lot of school and I lost a lot of weight and I was really insecure I'm really proud of the person I've come from all of that tragedy. I think when something really terrible happens between the ages of 12 and 18, maybe even younger. Again, health, divorce, death. You know, in my case, I think you're right. I I feel like I do a lot to prove that I can that I'm an artist or I'm a creator or I'm a intellectual or I think deeply or I'm asking questions and I think you're I think some of it might be rooted to childhood insecurities. And there was a time there where everybody just thought I was gonna die. And Hmm. so I didn't go to school a lot. I missed a whole year of school. And I think during those years, you know, teachers give you compliments or tell you that this is that you're doing really well there. And so I don't know, as you're saying, telling that story, I'm thinking back to my own life and then the beginning of your book, I do think, and again, I, I'm not trying to finger point social media, but I do think it sort of created this world. Maybe that's why it's so popular, because people just by nature are trying to get that feedback, that dopamine hit that what you're doing is, is good. Maybe it's as simple as that. I feel like somebody on Ezra Klein's show basically said, we're all,
1: we're all high school students now. Yeah, it feels good. It feels good to be needed, to be popular. Yeah, I mean, I I think that our experiences that we have, um, our younger experiences especially, and then our traumas we experience from there, I visualize it as they create a – they carve our our heart, our soul into a physical shape. I imagine like a cookie-cutter shape. And then for the rest of our lives, our love gets expressed in the shape of that. And the love we seek, we try to make it fit into that shape. And so if we have a, an abusive relationship or if we have something that is a, a, an insecurity or an anxiety for us, like we, we keep trying to solve it. We keep trying to like solve that same riddle um, just because that's, you know, that's what we're taught. That's what our hearts are taught, love and acceptance or not acceptance are. Again, I just want to like when I when I became aware of that in me, you know, my. I guess maybe I just in place of life, but, but I just really felt compassion for that person. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I and I can I can recognize that in a way that's like my truest person, and that I've hung like shrouds of myself, layers over that over life to. Be to thrive and operate in a world that is can be hostile. But yeah, but that's who we all are. You know, that's who we all are. And I feel like, you know, the acceptance and exploration of that are, are just, are, are very powerful. And I certainly learned as a CEO and as a leader that whoever you are as a person is who you will be in that role. And like every, everyone just is who they are. And it's it's amazing to agree that our personalities and our experiences shape what we do. Um, and, and so like the, the power of, Our individual values, the power of the emotions that we live in, all these things are are just immense. You know, even even the way that we view technology as negative versus positive, I think that's largely an emotional change in culture, an emotional change kind of brought about by the Trump election. Uh, But like the tech is kind of the same. In fact, like Facebook was doing more screwed up things back then when everyone liked it. You know, now they do better things and everyone hates them more. It's like, how does, way what, what makes sense here? Right. It's just that it's the emotions that have changed. Um, And emotions are aren't untrue. They aren't untrue emotions. I think, I think you can kind of trust them in in a way. And so when there is like the national emotion shifts against something like I think there is often some truth to it, but. It's probably just revealing, it's probably just revealing like the, the full light and shadow of whatever that thing is. Like the light and shadow of technology is yes, it's changed all of our lives, made it immensely better in many ways. It's also addictive, like bad for us in other ways, makes us manipulable, hackable. Um, you know, we're maybe the first test subjects of a new kind of civilization, right? And so we are working through the challenges of that And we kind of have to hope that we're doing it in such a way that later generations can, you know, just avoid these early mistakes that we're making. Uh, But like these are things that, of course, we'd have to find. Of course, we're going to run into these problems again because the Internet is a mirror. It's a mirror. And so as everyone gets hooked up, as we shift our consciousness into the Internet, into the digital space, like these are things that are going to happen now, do you want to question whether that was a good idea to begin with? Sure, sure, fair enough. But I don't know how to undo computer technology. <laughs> you know? I'm not sure if I could go back to Bell Labs you know, in 1945 and kill the transistor. You know, I don't, don't know.
0: A little different from what we've been talking about, but it's just something I was thinking about when I read your book. And I've thought about it for years. I've been a huge Radiohead fan, Nine Inch Nails, Pearl Jam. And you bring up the example in your book uh, with Adele. And of course, scalping has become such a huge business. And of course, I begrudge it and, and I I get annoyed by what scalpers have done to concerts and you know, Radiohead put out a record where I think it was Name Your Own Price and Pearl Jam, very just the recent tour, they set up a situation where it's all e-tickets and you have to, there's no paper tickets. And Adele did her show, I think it was Songkick or I forgot the comp- yeah. song kick, okay. where she made sure to give tickets or priority to her best quote unquote fans And Nine Inch Nails did something similar where they just gave records away. And my only, of course, I love this on the one hand. But then on the other hand, you know, they were all in a position where, again, we live in this capitalistic world where they were, they made enough money where they were able to do that. And so I, I'm conflicted by money and art and do you? Do you, I don't know if I have a question yet, but just.
1: Well, I guess maybe, maybe, maybe the question is: Are those things successful or unsuccessful? So, like Radiohead, name your own price—is that successful or, or like what? What does that do? Or Pearl Jam doing their own system, or Adele doing their own way? Uh, to me, it suggests that uh, I do think those things are meaningful, and I think that they like build—they build meaning with that fan base and that artist. Um, but they weren't – and like the Name Your Own Price thing, that felt like this is going to change the music industry forever. When that happened, that felt like the biggest thing that had ever happened in the music industry, right? Yeah, I remember. But it, but it, but it ended up not mattering at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember. It
1: ended up not mattering at all. And why? Why? Because it was a one-off.
0: Hmm.
1: Because it was a one-off. Because Radiohead made a standalone site to do it the one time for themselves in that project, which is like is makes sense for them as artists. Um now this is not their job, but if instead like that had been a they they built a platform where artists could host their own albums and hmm. you know, they make bandcamp at that moment. Let's say they make bandcamp at that moment. Right. Right, then you'd probably see a lot of major artists moving to bandcamp and maybe you see that being a thing. If Pearl Jam had instead of just doing ticketing for their own shows, because right, Pearl Jam's been at the front line of this forever, if Pearl Jam made Songkick. Right. Like maybe then it's like we're going to build the tool for other artists to follow this, too. Now, again, that's not what those artists are good at. You know, I don't think heavy veteran, maybe Jeff Ahmed wants to be coding, doing some PHP all day. I can imagine that. I don't. That's not what they want to do. Um, but I think if you would want those things to, quote, matter, to shift culture, to be like new norms, then I think you would maybe you would approach them not as one-off things but you'd approach them more as how can I as an artist create not just new opportunities for myself but create new institutions that other artists may also benefit from and like build on the kinds of choices I am in a position to make yeah and I think there are people doing you know I think you know you could argue Patreon is that you know I mean Jack Conte was a musician like you could argue that's like you know, and someone becoming famous for the company rather than their music, but um, but yeah, yeah, pay what you want is interesting because it did seem like the biggest thing ever, and then it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you get asked to do podcasts and talk. Was there something that I said or did that that made you say yes to talking to me, or or just there was nothing deep about it at all, and you just you had time and you wanted to say you're like, ah, hey, he's gonna he read my book, and I'm gonna talk to him about it. I'm just
1: I don't know. Uh, well, I guess, you know, I'm just going I'm excited to talk about the ideas I'm talking about. Um, and I think this one, uh, I think I lost track when it first happened and then like the PR guy reminded me of it again recently and said, Hey, did you ever get back to this one? And I realized, Oh no, I hadn't. So yeah, you know, I'm just like, just, I'm grateful for people to, to want to talk. Like I, you know, I'm these are, these are ideas that I think are important. So like any conversation that's, I I see that as being valuable.
0: Well, I found your book. Um, and obviously I'll, I'll record a, um, a prelude or an intro before this podcast, but this could be our future. I thought the timing was, was great for me because I was on vacation in Mexico and I turned off all tech and I just, um, I needed this book. It really brought a lot of Hope into my frame of mind. And it, 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 it made me feel hopeful that there were other people out there that are thinking, not only thinking what I'm thinking, but actually putting pen to paper and writing a book about it. And, and I felt it was important to I'm telling a lot of people about it. And I just I'm really grateful that you responded to my email because it's it's been really every time I have a conversation with somebody on my show, I'm reminded how important conversations are. To have, yeah. especially about challenging and complicated topics that we may not have an answer for, because we all have a unique relationship with all these sort of ideas. But uh, I just, I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me, and I, especially now with your kids at home, and I, I, it means a lot. So I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, just 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 check your DMs in the future. That's the uh, that's where all the conversations are happening.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's full circle here. I like that. That was good. Um, well, is it, is it Yancey or Yancey?
1: Yancey.
0: Yancey. I always like to sort of like make a a name sound more European than that. But, uh, so that's why I wasn't sure if it was Yancey or Yancey, but Yancey, I really appreciate it. Anything that you can plug or anything that, or not right now, there's really nothing going on.
1: Uh, we'll just, you know. Well, I'm doing a lot of, um, like live, I'm doing some live stream events and stuff. Um, and, and then there's the book and I have a newsletter, but why, why Strickler first, initial last com? why dot Um, and then if you're interested in the bentoism, uh, idea, there's bentoism.org. Um, which is like a really trippy site that will, uh, sort of guide you through this process, teach you how to build your bento, teach you how to make self coherent choices and give you that that toolkit that we've been talking about so yeah that's at bentoism.org
0: awesome man well again i really appreciate you talking i've uh i've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today i really appreciate your time
1: yeah yeah no problem man awesome, take care man. have a good day all right you too bye